Uh, we're continuing on today with our series, and I thought I'd just start out by talking about uh, the fact that, you know, would you say in your life that there are things that don't always go the way you would wish they would? Like everybody raise their hand, right? Okay. Um, there are many times in life when things do not go the way we ex would expect or even want them to go. And we can have an idea of something we want to do, or maybe a job that we want, or a relationship that we would like to have with somebody. And then it seems like in a while, everything changes. The desires we had for the future alike can't happen anymore. Uh, the, the vision is lost. We don't get the job. The relationship ends, or someone else gets the house. Uh, real estate, you know. Uh, this can be difficult. Uh, and, and a lot of times when that happens, we don't know what to do. There doesn't seem to be a good answer. And uh, the question would be then, what do we do then when things like that occur in our lives? And that's actually what we're going to look at today, the loss of a vision. And uh, we're going to continue on in our study of the ministry of Jesus. We are in John 11 today. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, John 11 in the New Testament. And we're going to start by reading the first 16 verses. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After this he said, after he has said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. So let's stop right there for now and uh, talk about that a little bit. So Jesus is friends with Lazarus. Uh, and Mar Mary and Martha, and it's always nice when you hear of somebody doing some archaeological digs and they find something that confirms a, an account in the Bible, right? And so in the early 1800s, this guy found a tomb that had, it was a family tomb because that's how they used to do stuff. They'd have this big tomb and they would put all the family members in there as they would die, and this tomb had the names of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha on the tomb. So the, and it was from that right time, so there we go. These are real people. This is a real account of something that really happened. And in verse 2, as we started in uh, chapter 11, you know it said that this Mary, and then it says she's the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped 
his feet with her hair. And there's more about this account in Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read you at verse 36 through 38. I'm going to read you about that. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Uh, this is a woman who adored Jesus Christ because of what she had been. It says she had been a sinful person. She had had a life that was going nowhere. There was a, a lot of problems she had. And Jesus rescued her, saved her from that life by speaking words of life into her and helping her um, understand that she could have faith in him. And then we talked about Martha in the women's Bible study about her being a person who was always doing something, always working. You know, she, she was kind of a, what we call a type A personality, and I, and I was wondering if, you know, it had been a few years since I heard that, so I Googled it again, and yep, they're still using that term, type A personality. And, uh, and, and let's read about her and see. Luke 10, 39 and 40 said, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So um, when I say she's a type A personality, what do you think when you hear type A personality? What, what is that? Driven. Driven. Outgoing. They have to do everything all the time. They have to do everything all the time. Rule follower. Workaholic, go, go, go. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, type A, um, I looked that up, and there's a, a website called Better Up, and I guess that's for people so they can be better, right? Uh, some helpful things. Uh, they say many people think of type A individuals as impatient, extroverted, workaholics, and competitive. See, you guys had all those, right? Type A behavior patterns carry an intense sense of urgency to everything they do, some individuals are more inclined to have type A personality traits, such as being impatient, extremely organized, and highly driven. There you go. But one's environment plays a significant role in how these people behave. The more stressful the environment is, the more stressed the individuals. So does this sound like Martha or what, right? She's like working on all this food and Mary's out there adoring Jesus, just being in his presence. And she's out there like, oh my gosh, where's Mary? Come and help me. So she was always doing. And uh, it says, uh, you know, can't you tell her to help me? She's wanting other people to be this way too. And my guess is that she is the oldest of all these uh, siblings. Uh, Mary worshiped Jesus. Her heart was filled with adoration for Jesus as her savior. She spent time in his presence. But Martha worshipped Jesus too. We can't say she's just all consumed with doing. She also worshipped him, but she felt the need to do things to prove her love for Jesus. Her heart was also filled with adoration for Jesus. And when we love God, it's natural that we want to do things to serve him. The problem comes when we are so busy doing things that we don't come to be in the presence of the Lord uh, there's a saying that we're human beings, not human doings. And so we need to be people 
who meet with Jesus, not do things to earn that. And it's really a question of motivation. You know, why are we doing all this stuff? It should be that out of thankful hearts, we're giving back to God, just like when we give our tithes and our offerings. We don't try to earn his love or to prove we deserve it by all the things we do. We're just receiving it. So in verse 13 of this chapter, uh, they, it says that Lazarus is sick, or actually verse 3, sorry. It says Lazarus is sick, and uh, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus to tell him, hey, your good friend Lazarus is sick. And they wouldn't have done this unless he was really sick. So they know that it's critical. And where they are from where Jesus is, it's about 100 miles difference. And so instead of going at once to see them, it says when Jesus heard it, he just stays where he is. And he says, this won't end in death. Lazarus is sick for God's glory so that God's son Jesus would be glorified through it. It might have seemed to people around, you know, not, it, and when Jesus would travel, he'd have the 12 disciples with him, but there were always crowds following too of more than that. And it might have seen everybody was like, why isn't he leaving? And they're probably wondering, what is going on? It, doesn't he care? Doesn't he understand? He, he should go. But he says, I'm not going now because uh, God or Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to be glorified through this sickness. So does that happen today? Is God glorified through our sickness? And how is that? What do you think? <clears throat> right, God isn't the author of sickness, but he can take that bad and make it good. Okay, any other thoughts? <clears throat> yeah. When we're sick and people pray for us and God heals us, that glorifies God. Right. <clears throat> How we handle it, yeah, right. All of these things are good when we're when we're healed, and how we handle that time of sickness, even death, when we pass into eternity to be with God. Psalm one sixteen fifteen says, "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful servants." What that means is God's glorified when we pass into eternity to be with Him. Philippians three twenty one uh, is talking about Jesus, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So someday the glory is that we get to have glorified bodies after we have passed into eternity as well. It honors God when that happens. It honors God when he heals us. Uh, so there's, there is a si significant amount of God being glorified even when we are sick. So now back to John 11, it says that Jesus stayed there for two more days. And then he tells the disciples after those two days are over, he says, okay, let's go back to Judea. So what do we know about these people of Judea? Yeah, it says they tried to stone you. Um, John 7, 1 is talking about that example. Um, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. 
So this is clearly an area that's hostile to Jesus and the disciples. And uh, it says they tried to stone him. And the disciples, when, they, when he says, let's go back there, they're probably thinking, well, why would you go there? It's not safe. <laughs> and Jesus tells them about daylight and night, which doesn't seem to really answer that concern at first. He's saying, walking by day you won't stumble walking in the light but if you walk in darkness you will stumble there is no light you can't see so what is he talking about when he's saying walking in the light spiritually yes it's the time it's seizing the moment the opportunity anything else Yeah, uh, the, the thing about walking in the light, uh, we can see more about this in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It was definitely a spiritual comparison he was making here for them about light and darkness. And if he's saying, if you're walking in the light, if you're following me, because that's what he's talking about, following Jesus, walking in the light, you don't have to fear. You know, now you're not going to stumble. You're not going to be in darkness. And so he compares then that going back there to being in the light because they're coming with him. Jesus compares Lazarus' death then to falling asleep, and he says he's going to go wake him up, which is a little different way of talking about it for sure. But he's, what he's saying is this isn't final death. I already told you that he's not going to really die. And so they're like, um, well, if he's, a, if he's not uh, if he hasn't died and he's just asleep, why would you wake him up? Let the poor man sleep. He can get better. <laughs> so Jesus had to make it plain. Then he says, look, look, guys, he's actually dead. But I'm going to go there, and I have something in mind to do that will help you see me as the Son of God, the Messiah. This is so you will believe. So Jesus says, let's go to him. And then Thomas is still thinking in the natural, okay? He's not really seeing the whole comparison there. And he's thinking about the threat still of getting stoned. And he says, oh, sure, let's just go with him and, and die with him. Let's all go and die with Jesus. So then what happens next, we'll read in verse 17 through 31. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And see, that 100-mile difference, if you figure they're walking about 20 miles a day, it would have taken 20, 20 to 30 miles. It would have taken them four or five days to get there. So when they get there, they find out he's been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had to come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's stop there for a moment. So the trip to Bethany um, from across the Jordan where they were, like I said, it's a four-day trip. They get there. They find out he's been in the tomb for four days. And that four days was significant because um, they, up to three days, people thought that the soul of the deceased person kind of hovered over the body looking for a way to reenter it. You know, they, the, the Jewish people didn't embalm the body, so they had to bury them that same day. And so they thought there was a possibility this person could just come back on their own, you know, that they weren't really dead dead. And so at four days, though, they said, no, they're fully deceased. And the people who knew this family gathered with Mary and Martha to mourn the loss of their brother and to comfort them. As Jesus is approaching, though, Martha hears Jesus is on the way. And so she runs out to meet him along the way and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there's kind of a sense in what she's saying is like, why weren't you here, Lord? And in her asking, there's this sadness. Like, if only you were here, you could have kept him from dying. If only you were here. However, now, in spite of my brother's death, I know that God can change this situation. I know that you can change this situation. And Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again, which Martha then interprets as this commonly known belief about resurrection of the dead at the last day. And that's in Isaiah 26, 19, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Uh, your dew is like the dew of the morning, and the earth will give birth to her dead. So that's saying that, you know, in the last days, the, the dead, the people who are followers of God, who know God, they're going to rise to eternity. And Jesus taught on it in John 6. He said in verse 38, For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. So Martha thinks this is what Jesus is talking about. And so she says, well, it's almost like she's a little annoyed, isn't it? Yeah, I know he's going to rise at the last day. You can almost hear her saying it like that, can't you? Or, or maybe she was more respectful. Maybe she was just saying, yeah, I know that. And Jesus says then to her, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the most important truths that we will ever understand about our our walk with God, about our salvation, that Jesus is the life. Jesus is the resurrection. Death is not the end. It's not like we live so many years and then that's it. It's like we are part of an eternal timeline. And when we follow Jesus Christ, death is not the end of it. It's just the beginning of the rest of eternity for us. Jesus gives us life, eternal life, and anyone who believes in Jesus will live and not die. So 
he, Jesus said that. If you believe in me, you'll live and not die. What does that mean? How is it that we will not die? Spiritually, yeah. Yeah. If you believe, which means to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have faith in him, entrusting your life to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're going to live and have physical life and and also you have spiritual life. Jesus comes into your life and wakens up that spiritual being that you are. That spiritual life then, that doesn't ever end. Your physical body, someday, we're all going to die, right? Yeah, that's the first death when we die physically. And Jesus isn't saying here that nobody is going to die physically because that would be proven wrong right away, right? Our mortal body sometime will die. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's talking about that, that someday in our mortal bodies, we're going to pass away. And after that, it says we face a judgment, a judgment of either for the believers for to receive rewards for what we've done for Christ. But if we haven't followed Jesus Christ, the judgment is for eternal separation from God. We were created by God with body, soul, and spirit, and our spirits are that eternal part of us. Revelation 20:14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this is what it's talking about. It's saying if you don't believe, these things are characteristic of the people who don't believe. And at the final judgment, that is what they face. The hell, the lake of fire. Um, that's a sad thing. When you know you have friends who don't believe in Jesus Christ, uh, that's the end of the story. That's, that's what happens. And so we don't want to end up there. We don't want our loved ones to end up there. That should motivate us to share about Jesus Christ because he said he is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So when we believe, we don't die that second death of the lake of fire we die the first death, the physical death, but then we go on to eternity, to spend eternity with God. Martha still didn't understand what Jesus was telling her when he said that he was the life and the resurrection. He was saying that he, the Son of God, gave life and had power over death. She says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, and then she leaves and goes back and finds Mary to tell her, hey, Jesus is here, Jesus is coming. And Mary leaves to meet Jesus. And let's read a few more verses there about this. Um, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews, Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews, 33, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Mary falls at his feet. And she's weeping and said, Lord, if you'd only been here. 
And here's an account where we see Jesus' emotions. It tells us that he's deeply moved. And that means he's filled with emotion. It's a deep emotion he's experiencing. Mary's weeping in the sorrow that all of the people there have. Where have you laid him? Where is the tomb? And they say, come and see, Lord. And they bring Jesus to the tomb. And it says that he stands there and he wept. A silent weeping, tears probably running down his cheeks for the sorrow. Now, the reason he's weeping isn't because Lazarus died, because he knows what he's about to do. He's weeping for all the sorrow in the morning of those people around. And what this shows is that Jesus cares so deeply about us and what we're going through. When we're in a situation of sorrow or difficulty or trouble, you know that Jesus cares about you. Everyone who's watching there, who's with Mary and Martha, says, oh man, he really loved Lazarus. And then some said, you know, could, couldn't he have done something? See, they don't know what's about to happen. In our lives, when things are not going like they should, we might say, God, can't you do something? But that's missing the plan of God for us because God is doing something. There is this eternal plan that Jesus has for us. And Jesus has such compassion for you. He leads you through the things that when you're really following Jesus Christ and wanting to serve him, do what he's called you to, he leads you through the things that are for your best good, even when it's difficult. Okay, let's pick up uh, John 11 at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So when Jesus is there, they remove the stone. And, and Martha's concerned because, I mean, she knows Lazarus is really dead. And she's concerned about what's going to happen next because she's pretty sure it's not going to be a pleasant experience. And she, she says, there's going to be a bad odor. And all the people know Lazarus is really dead. They're probably all thinking it, you know. And here's where the miracle happens. Jesus said, if they believe, they're going to see the glory of God. And he prays and says, Father, I know you've always heard me, but I say this for the benefit of the people who are here so they can believe that you sent me. And Jesus calls to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Those words of life that resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine what everyone thought at first, though, when he's saying, Lazarus, come out? They're all thinking, um, what? <laughs> and then a few seconds later, out comes Lazarus, walking out of the tomb. A, a miracle, a miracle. And then... For us, there might be things in our life that seem like, you know, that's, that's gone, that's lost, that vision is dead. I, I just, there's no hope. 
plans, dreams we have for a life that even things we felt were from the Lord, and we are like, they're never going to happen. And what do we do in times like that? Well, when something God has put on your heart, a vision from the Lord, or some other circumstance seems like it is lost, the first thing we want to do is ask Jesus for help. If the plan's from God, he's going to help you accomplish it. He will speak words of life into situations that don't seem like things can happen. He is the God of the impossible. Uh, he, he has the power that we need to live and accomplish the things he's called us to. So the first thing is ask Jesus for help. The second thing is trusting God and what he brings to the situation. See, he brings compassion. He brings love. God's word gives direction and light. Remember, we walk in the light to where we're going. And he says, if you're walking in the light, you're not going to stumble. Things that look difficult, things that look overwhelming. Trust me and what I have, my strength, my ability, my compassion, my love for you. And the third thing is to wait on Jesus for the outcome. Things might look impossible, but we follow Jesus and we trust in him the God of the impossible. God says, my arm is not too short to save, which means if you have a tough situation and you need someone to save you, you need someone to pull you out of that difficult situation, you need something helpful in your life, my arm is not too short. I can save you. Isaiah 59.1, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. He hears us when we come to him, when we ask him for help, when we trust him, and when we wait on him for the outcome. As we close today, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Is there something that God has called you to do? Is there a vision that he felt that you feel that he had given you? Uh, if God calls you to something, he will accomplish it. Jesus calls to us today, and he says, come forth. Come to what I've called you to do. Come forth. Come to the future I've called you to. Come forth. Come to the life I'm calling you to. The glory of God was seen on that day when Lazarus was raised from the dead through Jesus Christ, and today the glory of God can be seen in your life too as you follow Jesus Christ and you trust him. Would you stand as we close? I just ask everyone, just bow your heads as we close here. If you are in an impossible situation today or you feel like a, a, a vision that you felt was from the, the Lord, a dream, a goal, was from God, and you feel like that's lost. And you need Jesus to bring life and light to it. If you're asking Jesus for help today and trusting in him for the outcome, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you for this example. We know it's of you raising Lazarus from the dead, but Lord, there's such great things in here for us, Lord, that as we trust you, as we ask you for help, as we wait on you, Lord, that you give us strength to get through that. You give us the power we need. Lord, if there are things in our life that we just have given up on, 
There were things that we felt you had given us as a promise, and it's just been a while, and so we're just kind of giving up on it. Lord, I pray you'd speak words of life into that. Holy Spirit, just bring that back to life in our in our uh, lives. Help us to follow you and trust you. Help us to know that we can know that whatever is happening as we're really trusting you, Lord God, that what's happening to us, Lord, you give us the strength. You give us the power. You give us the ability. Lord, you care about us so much. You love us so much that you're going to bring us through all that. Father, I pray that... Um, dreams and visions that are gone that that just seem impossible father i pray you just reawaken those in us lord give us the strength through the power of the holy spirit holy spirit just anoint us saturate us today with your presence and your power help us lord to follow you with all of our heart all of our soul all of our might lord we thank you that no matter what happens in this life lord when we follow you we have eternal life that begins right now, that nothing in our life is outside of uh, that eternal life goal. That when we someday pass into eternity, Lord, we spend it with you. We just thank you, Father, that um, we've been quickened, we've been awakened in our spirit. We will not experience that second death. Lord God, we thank you for all you've given us. Just help us to make it through each week in a way that honors and glorifies you. We just thank you, Lord for what you're going to do this week, and we trust you for the outcome in Jesus' name. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.